All right, church, how are we this morning? I hope if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll make your way over to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll say this as you're turning there. We love our kiddos and we love the fact that we have junior church, but it's absolutely okay for your kids to be in here as well, okay? Uh, that's totally all right, and so just want to make that clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. These past several weeks we've been walking through this letter and what we saw last week was Paul beginning to make some analogies. He compared the church at Corinth to a couple different metaphors. He made some metaphors. One of those was comparing it to a field, that the church was God's field. He also likened the church to a building, being God's building. And he began to illustrate on that, and one of the things we saw about this field is that though there are workers who are there laboring in the field, it is God who brings the growth. It's Him who's doing all of this. Same with the building, that though there are master builders and builders who are laboring to, to build with imperishable goods, some might labor with perishable goods, but it's all upon a foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And apart from that foundation, there is no church. So it's His building his church, he gives the growth. And as we jump in this morning, we're going to look at one more analogy here in chapter 3 that Paul gives. He's going to liken the church to a temple. And so before we jump into that, what I'd like to do is uh, read the text. We're going to pick up this morning in chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, just eight verses, and then I'll pray, and then we'll begin to unpack this a little bit at a time, all right? Let's do that. Let's pick up verse 16. He says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Let me pray for us. Father, again, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter written to this church. And Lord, just as it was relevant to the Corinthians some 2,000 years ago, it's relevant to us here this morning. And so, Father, I pray that you do what only you can do, Lord, that you might give eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand, Lord, that we might walk in obedience, that, that we would see what you have for us this morning. Lord, I trust that you have something for us. I, I trust that you want us to be more and more like Christ. You want us to be more and more like your New Testament church. And so, Father, I pray that you might do that, that you might grow us up into the standard that is Christ. Bring us into maturity. Lord, we, we've seen last week and and we're seeing again this week lord it's all by you you do that so father i pray that you'd give the growth 
Lord, we love you. We need you. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church. So as we begin here, remember we're picking up kind of uh, in the midst of this. And he says in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are a temple? Now, the language here is pretty emphatic. This is uh, a type of phrase or rhetoric that Paul uses. Uh, He's going to use it some more throughout the letter to the Corinthians, but he doesn't use it much outside of that. Do you not know? Essentially, don't don't you know? You ought to know. There's some, some force behind this. Do you not know that you're a temple? He's, he's pleading with them. He's imploring them. He's, he's saying, do you not know that you're a temple? Now, when we say a temple, when he's saying this, what might the original audience understand? What are they going to realize? Well, some of them are coming from pagan backgrounds. Remember, this is Corinth, a thoroughly pagan, carnal city. And so some of them are going to equate that to maybe the, the many temples around dotting the, the hillside and, and the area surrounding Corinth. But there are others there that come from a Jewish background because we know there was a synagogue there. And so what are they going to equate that to? Well, certainly they're not going to miss the, the, the emphasis here to be a temple of God. What was the Old Testament temple? It was the, the location where the presence of God dwelt among the people of God. It was a, a visible representation where the, God would make himself manifest among the nations. It was a place that all those around could come and see. And so he's saying this, do you not know that you are a temple of God? That the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, let me point this out, because our temptation might be this, especially if we're from the West. If we're from a place like the U.S., we're we're very individualistic. We might read this and say, okay, I'm a temple. And that's not untrue. In fact, later in this book, he's going to say that very thing. Get just a couple chapters later, he talks about individuals were temples of the Holy Spirit. We know that each believer has the Holy Spirit. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1, that we're sealed with the, the promise of the Spirit as the sign of our inheritance. So we know that, okay? But that's not what he's saying right here. That, that's not the thrust of this when he says you are a temple remember he's speaking in the context of the church corporately the church gathered together remember he's saying you're god's field god's building and now he's saying you the church at corinth you the church here in sao paulo here at calvary you're a temple a place where the spirit of god dwells church there's there's a uniqueness about the way, the manner in which the Spirit of God dwells among His gathered people. Now that's not to say He doesn't commune with those who are apart from the church, but there's a uniqueness in the way in which He communes with us as we gather. That's why you have texts like Matthew chapter 20, verse 18. I said that backwards, 18 verse 20. Where He says, where two or three are gathered in My name, I'll be there also. How does he say that? Why does he say that? Because there's a distinctiveness. When multiple believers come together corporately as the church. Now, let me pray for a second. I I, I, I sense the need to do that. Let me pray before we keep going. Father, I I just want to come back into your presence. And Lord, just ask that you help my mind. Lord, that 
I think clearly, Lord, that I not muddy the waters or trample the grass. Lord, we love you. We need you. Father, I just I thank you again for your word. Lord, we ask for your help. I ask for that this morning. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you're a guest with us, that was one of mine, by the way, so it's okay. Um, do you not know that the corporate gathering is where the Spirit of God is made manifest to all those around? You know, church, I, I think far too often we, we diminish the corporate gathering. The reality that, that we, like the temple, the temple that was supposed to be present there among the nations that people could see and they could see God at work. So it is with the church. We're, we're to, to be a visible manifestation of the Spirit of God among the peoples. Do, do we see ourselves as such? Do, do we see the church being that very thing? I fear we've lessened that. That we don't see that to be the case. We don't value our gathering as we should. I, I think back... Well, let me say this. For the past couple of decades in the, in the U.S. in particular, again, that's my context that I've been in for a while, and so that's where I speak from. But there's been a movement where individuals have been disillusioned by the church corporately, the gathered church. And so they would say, well, you know what? I've got everything I need in the Holy Spirit. I, I can go and live my life and grow in maturity, Christian maturity, and I can do that apart from the church. And, and, you know, I think we see the fault in that, especially in light of this text, that we can't grow to maturity apart from the church. But, you know, I, I think there's more subtle ways of that being manifested. I, I think back to my own experience. Uh, about 13 years ago, I, uh, I made the move to Turkey, and I lived there for about two years, and I was teaching English. But a lot of what... I was there for, my ambition was to see the church planted, to see the church grow, to see the kingdom of God grow there in Turkey. And if you know anything about Turkey, there, there's not a ton of believers, maybe about 5,000 for the whole country. But a good portion of those 5,000 lived in the city in which I lived. It was a, a mega city, kind of like, like here. But as I look back over those two years, you know, you could ask, did you love the church? Absolutely, I did. I was there to labor to see her grow to see her established. I, I was supported by local churches that I've been sent out of in the States. And so, absolutely, I love the church. But you know, the, the thing that bothers me the most, that, that I look back and I wish I would have done differently, there were local bodies of believers there in that city, local fellowships, and I didn't connect with them. Not as I should. I might have a conversation with some of the guys that attend here and there, but I was really disconnected from the local body in that city. Do you see the, the inconsistency in that? I say I love the church, I want to see the church established, but all the while neglecting the church that is already present? You see that? It ought not be that way. It, it, it's easy for us to do that. It might even be easy for that to happen in this city where we have such a, a diverse population of people from all over the world. Oh, I'm here for six months or a year or two years, and I've got a church back at home and wherever that might be, and I don't need to connect here. No, we should. Church, if, 
If we as believers, if we intentionally disconnect from the body of Christ, from the gathered saints, if we disconnect from that, we're missing out on the fullness of the experience of God in our lives. Because there's a way in which the Spirit is present among us gathered that is distinct from the individual. So, do we understand the significance of what we're doing here? That this is a big deal. We're not just getting together on a weekly basis just, just for the coffee and the cookies. Like, that, that's fine. No. Church, God has a plan for us. He has a plan for His church. That His Spirit might be made manifest all across this world in dark places that we might be a light. That's why we're here. Look, look with me a little further. Let, let's keep moving here. Verse 17. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Now, I want to back up for just a moment. Because remember, this is all together. This is one letter. Probably would have been read in, in one setting. And verse 15 is just two verses back. And as he says there, if any man's work is burned up, things being burned up sounds a lot like destruction. I don't doubt that there's correlation here, right? So I, I want to back up for just a moment here and, and kind of press in on the perishable and imperishable work. We didn't really unpack that too much last week. And so I want to just press in on that for a moment because I think by contrast it will help us understand verse 17. Okay? So what might be something that is imperishable, that gold, silver, precious stones, the way in which we wisely build a church? What might be something that's going to last? Well, certainly one building material would be Christ-exalting, Christ-centered worship, right? Where, where we go before God, Christ is our focus, we're exalting Him, that we, we would all agree, say, yeah, that, that, that sounds pretty imperishable. That's going to last. When everything else is burned up, that, that's going to be there. All right? So what might be a imperishable, that's imperishable, what would be a perishable version of that? Well, it might just be a subtle shift. It, it might be that rather than focusing on the object of our worship, the Lord Jesus, we begin to get a little too preoccupied about our manner of worship or the experience of our worship. And so we say, you know, our, our musical quality is very important. We, we, we need to go out and seek out professional musicians. And, you know, maybe it does or doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't matter if they're God-fearing. Maybe it doesn't matter if they know Jesus. We, we just need excellence in this. And so we go out and do that. Or maybe we say we need to tap into the emotional aspect a little bit more of our worship, and so we're going to dim the lights down, and we're going to get some smoke machines and some lasers, and nothing inherently wrong with lasers, that's fine, you know, whatever. But, but if those lasers become the focus of our worship gathering, that we might enhance our experience, and it gets off of Jesus, it becomes perishable, right? That's going to get burned up, it's not going to last. So you, you see the distinction there? How we can make that shift and the difference in something that's imperishable and perishable, how we build a church. Now, now here's an observation about that. I, I think you can build with perishable materials. You can build a church with perishable materials 
and do so with good intentions. I think there's a lot of well-intended pastor, leader, deacon boards all around the world that are laboring with perishable materials and doing so with good intentions. I think in part because it says that those things will be burned up, but they'll be saved through the fire. Okay, So it's not an issue of salvation. It, it might just be that they're not wise builders like Paul. You know, Paul says, I'm like a wise master builder and I'm doing this a certain way. It might just be that they're well-intended but not wise in how they're building. Now, I say all of that in contrast to verse 17. Because when he says, if any man destroys the temple of God, with destruction comes a, a certain intentionality, uh, a certain thrust. It, it, it has intentions otherwise. It's not well intended. There's ill intent to bring destruction. So when he says, if any man destroys the temple of God, what might that look like? I think one really good example from Scripture would be if we were to go back into Acts and I'll just go back here, you don't have to, but you can make a note if you'd like. Acts chapter 20, and this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. So pastor elder, that's synonymous in the New Testament. So it's a group of pastor elders that he's meeting with in Miletus. He's, he's taking a trip, he's trying to get back to Jerusalem, and he, he meets with these individuals, and he says this, verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. We would say, okay. They're, they're seeking to destroy the church. We would expect that. We would anticipate that. That outside forces are going to come. We, we might automatically equate that to maybe the Al-Qaeda or the ISIS or what, what takes place in places like Libya where believers are beheaded on beaches and, and put up on YouTube and those kind of things. And we would read this and say, yes, God is going to destroy those men. They're, they're seeking to destroy the temple of God, the church, and he's going to destroy them. We, we might automatically make that equation. But notice what he says next. This is in, back in Acts chapter 20. He says, And from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. From among your own selves. He's speaking to a group of pastor elders. And I think that fits our context here in 1 Corinthians. Because remember, he's speaking to the church. This letter's written to the church. And so this warning, this, if any man destroys the temple of God, is directed probably towards those within the church. Those who might have a mind towards, hey, I'm going to lead some disciples away after me. I'd like a little bit of that attention. I, I, I'd like to do this or that to cause factions or dissension in the church. That there are some that will enter into the church ill-intended, wearing a cloak of righteousness, a cloak of humility, all in an effort to gain some power or accomplish their own purposes. And what Paul's saying here is that won't go unnoticed. In fact, if they seek to destroy the temple, God will destroy them. You say, Seth, that sounds pretty, pretty heavy. Yeah, it is. It's meant to be heavy. In fact, we go over into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and Paul says, "What well, we will all one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all stand before Him. 
and be recompensed for our deeds in the body, whether good or bad. You're going to have to account for the way in which you live. Even as believers, we stand before God and we give an account. And so he's saying this as a, a warning for the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. The temple of God, the gathered body, the church, it is intended to be holy. It's, it's the bride of Christ. Church, do we value it as such? Or do we just think it's a club that we get together with once a week? I, I think so many of our problems within the church, and I'm speaking corporately, this greater church as a whole, right, globally, not, not Calvary in particular, though we're included in this. I think so many of our problems and our dilemmas would dissolve if we each had a higher view of the church of the Lord Jesus. To see her as she is, as His bride, that's intended to be holy and blameless. How do we see the church? Now, notice he goes on to say this. Look at verse 18 and following. He's going to kind of unpack this a little more in these following verses. I think 16 and 17 are the main thrust. He gives this warning here in verse 18, kind of as he did uh, previously about building in a proper way. He says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So let no one boast in men. Let no man deceive himself. He's unpacking that reality of what might bring about destruction within the church. Maybe it's an individual who, in observing what's happening in the church, says, you know, if, if I did it my way, I could fix that. Or if we did it this way, or if this were my church, or if... And maybe they position themselves in certain roles and capacities because they have the knowledge in which to do these things. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And God knows this. He, he goes on to say, so, so let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in men. Remember, that was one of the key problems in this church in Corinth is they were lining up behind particular leaders and saying, hey, I'm with this guy. Whatever he says, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm with this guy. He's, he's more heavily touted. He's more credentialed. I'm behind this guy. Paul's saying that that's not how it works within the church of God. In fact, there's penalty for those that Seek destruction for the church. Now, notice here. Let me tie this together with verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. That, that seems like an interesting way to progress. What do you mean, Paul? What are you trying to get at here? All things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present things or things to come. All things belong to you. What, what, what does he mean by that? What do you mean, Paul? Think about it this way. So, I've been here for six, seven weeks maybe. I don't remember exactly. We got here at the end of June. And uh, 
on a weekly basis. I'm, I'm here at the church, uh, the, the church facility, and our church administrator, Douglas, he's around here somewhere. He might be back there somewhere. But he and I, uh, we usually get together for lunch, you know, a couple times a week or at least once a week. We go somewhere, and we'll walk uh, somewhere usually from here. So the things that are within walking distance, those are places that are, you know, places we like to check out. And not too far from here, about two blocks away, uh, there's a little Chinese restaurant. And some of you may know this, but it, it, it's really convenient. It's close by, and it has a buffet for 28 hayal, right? <laughs> Which is really hard to find, especially if you go to the places that you have to weigh stuff. You're not getting out of there with 28. That ain't going to happen, right? And so this is all you can eat, 28 hayai. And so we, we go, and we've been there a couple of times now, and one of the best things on this buffet comes at the end. And they've got these little deep-fried bananas, okay? And now, in the States, you could only get those at the fair. You, you didn't get those at regular restaurants. And so I've seen them a couple places. There's a point in this, by the way. So let's say you go to the Chinese restaurant, and you purchase the buffet, and you go and you go get the bananas. That's where you go, first thing. But there's a catch at that restaurant. You can only have two of them. That, that's it. They, they cap it. And so you get your two bananas, and you're eating them, and you know, they're delicious. And, and somebody comes up and says, are you, are you not going to get the rest of the buffet? They've got rice and lo mein and egg rolls and potato salad, because everywhere in Brazil has potato salad. And, <laughs> You got all these things. Why, why don't you go? You have access to that. And you say, no, I'm devoted to my fried bananas. They're so crisp on the outside, and they've got this, they caramelize when the heat hits the bananas and the sugars, and it's just, it's good. I, I, I'm staying right there. What would you say? That's crazy, right? You, you have access to everything else on that buffet, and you are by your own choosing limiting yourself. You're not getting any of that other stuff. So it is here. If, if we unrightly align our affections towards particular men or people and we say, you know what, I'm just after Paul. Well, you lose everything that Apollos has to offer. You say, well, I'm just after Cephas. Well, you miss everything that Paul and Apollos might be able to offer. It, if, we, if we limit ourselves in such a way, we miss everything that God has for us as a church. So that's what he's saying whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Church, we have limitless access to the resources God has put before us. Don't intentionally limit yourself by saying, hey, I'm only going after this. No, full counsel. We, we look to Christ. And in Him, we have access to everything. Are we limiting our faith? Are we limiting our Christian maturity because we're aligning after certain things in ways that we shouldn't? We need to ask ourselves that. I'm going to pray here in just a moment, and we're going to have a time where you can check yourself, you can evaluate your heart. I hope you will. We're going to have some folks available to pray with you. I'll be there, be available to pray with you. But I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions this morning as we transition. First of all, do you value the church? 
Like, really, do you value it? As it is, as the gathered body of Christ, where the Spirit of God dwells among the people, do you cherish it as such? Do you regard it as such? Or is this just something trivial that you do on a weekly basis? If you don't see her as she is, the church, you need to repent of that this morning. You need to ask God to forgive you, to increase your love and affection for the church. And, and maybe you've limited yourself in discipleship and sanctification by saying, hey, I'm only going after this and this and this. I'm only sitting under this teaching. And, and you need to say, all right, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for having my affections misplaced. Maybe you need to repent of that this morning. Maybe you're a visitor here for the first time. Maybe you're watching online for the first time. And you're saying, this is strange. This is different. What, what is this? And you're hearing about the church, the bride. There's this kind of language. And you're like, what, what, is, what is happening here? Friend, I just want to say, the church is a gathered body of believers, followers of the Lord Jesus, that believe that He came and died in our place to forgive us of our sins. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. He died for you too. And you're welcome here. You're welcome to come in and be a part of this faith family, this church that we're talking about. We want you to be a part of that. And you come in through the grace of God in the person, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on your behalf. And if you'll ask for forgiveness, He'll forgive you today. And you can be a part of this faith family. We're not perfect. I know that. You know that. But I do believe we're growing in Christ-likeness and maturity. That's what we're shooting for. And one day, we'll be presented without spot or wrinkle before God is holy. Because as He says, His church is holy because of Christ. I'm going to pray you be obedient to what God's asking you to do this morning. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your church. And Lord, I just pray that in the quietness of this moment, Lord, you would interact with our hearts. Lord, that you would reveal any sin that's present that maybe we've neglected or pushed away. Lord, that you would bring that to mind. Lord, that we'd be faithful to deal with that and not just push it aside again and again. Father, I pray you'd grant repentance. Lord, give us grace. Lord, we love you and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.